All right, folks, for our next headline here, we're going to have to bring in Mr. Joe Dancy because anytime we get into conspiracy, I, I don't know. It's uh, I, I like a good conspiracy, but a lot of people get a little bit uh, nutso about it. And, and Joe Dancy's an educator, so he's like a referee when it comes to this stuff. And there's a few other topics, but this was a good one to bring him in on. Uh, Joe Dancy, how are you doing today? Really good, really good. The uh, Texas A&M Law School has shut down uh, in for in-line, in-the-seat classes, and we're doing everything online now, and the SMU Business School did the same thing. So it's a, Jason, it's a different world uh, these well, days. Well, for you, th- this has got to be really good. I mean, I, I thought the same thing for me. You know, I've got a home studio, the Hatch Coaching Studios here, and I've been able to have a mobile studio. I did it because I'm a single father. I did it because I had to put my son's priority first. And so for me, this is great because it's something I already, I'm, I'm already doing. And I was going to ask you, you know, you kind of transitioned to the online education world over the last several years. So you've, you've kind of been ready for this too, haven't you? This kind of this transition, this, this working consumer transition we seem to be in. Yeah, it really, uh, really have. And part of it is you realize the how inefficient really the old, you know, you show up and you meet for class and you have three or four classes a semester and it's so much more convenient. And actually what we can do um, is, you know, you can be working in Midland, Texas, driving, you know, a water truck and, you know, getting a degree from, Texas A&M or SMU online, and you don't have to quit your job. You don't have to move. You don't have to pay tuition, you know, for the in-the-seat folks as well as room and board as well as, oh, that's half the going to undergraduate anyway. Uh, But there's a lot of opportunities. Well, it's just, you know, we talked about this last time, you know, how the industry is changing with big data and technology. And if you don't keep up with it, I mean, it's the – it's i've talked to people who retired five years ago from drilling wells and they said joe you know you go back in the control room now and he goes i wouldn't it'd be like going in a spacecraft because i i'd know the basic stuff but he goes there's a lot of stuff that i wouldn't have a clue uh you know the technology every year it gets a little bit updated it's like getting a new new uh computer i guess and new software so it's interesting stuff well this has been coming for a while in fact this morning i was posting some social media stuff on linkedin and this round was some articles that we've done over the past and a number of different things because you know here at the crude life we you know we not only do we do podcasts we have radio shows and we're also in magazines and third-party news outlets and everything and this story that i'm bringing up was a particular one in 2013 we didn't post it but i saw the you know the headline and and the actual magazine article and it was the technology of the bakken is what it was called and it talked about remote drilling a little bit in the in the article and you know and and the example i gave on the radio show i don't think i gave it in the article though was and I believe it was Liberty Oil. Liberty Oil was the was the uh, oil company in question here. But um, that you know, a, a worker now can live in San Antonio and go to work, come home, make it, go to their kids' soccer game, make it home for dinner, you know, that type of thing, and do their fracking in the Bakken. So they don't even have to really go there. Now there needs to be a shell crew on the wells. That'll never change. But for the most part, if you can have as many remote workers as possible 
Now you're talking about a shift in the quality of life to where instead of two weeks on, two weeks off, it's nine to five. Now, nine to five is, is you know, subjective in everybody's mind, but you understand what I mean. It's more of a, hey, I can go to my kid's soccer game. Jeez, this is great. And I can work for an oil company. Now, that 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 is what the direction I see this going. Uh, your thoughts on that, Joe Dancy? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And your point of, of you... Uh... Yeah, uh, with your kids and 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 working from home. I mean, it does give you a lot of flexibility in the workforce. And and actually, when you um, remove some of the geographical area boundaries for employers, I mean, it's you know, if you can pick up someone from Dallas to work in Bismarck, you know, online, you know, more power to you. Though, quite frankly, between you and me, I mean. You're, I'd love. I'd rather live in Bismarck because I I just love it up there. I love the winters and I love the outdoors. But you know, it's uh. But Dallas is a beautiful city. It's a great place to be. And and uh, but it does give you that flexibility as the employee as well as the employer. And I think this this may be what's going on the last. This may be a big stepping stone for education as well as online learning and online training and actually just online communications, um, you know, because we're going to see, we're going to see how well this works because almost every university in the, in, in the country is, is, you know, shutting down there in the seats uh, educational process. And I did, you know, I was sitting and, you know, with some of my colleagues and it is interesting, the older professors who, you know, some of them are, I mean, it's sort of like, learning to drive a stick shift for the first time it's like you you see what their is their questions they're asking it's like geez have you guys been you know and of course they're great professors they know their stuff but they just are not used to the the delivery and the communication mode the technology it's uh it's sort of like like when i asked for the analogies you know you get someone from the 60s that was drilling wells and you bring them out on a well site today and they would just be they'd be number one amazed and they would just be totally lost for a while until they got back up to speed so anyway it'll be exciting to see what goes on i'm sort of a i'm sort of excited about it because um yeah i I will speak to you regularly but i there's a number of groups that i make presentations to that um have have luncheons and have conventions and um you know they said gee we're gonna cancel a convention but will you you know speak you know via via computer via zoom or via and it's like hey i'd love to it's uh we'll see and, and the neat thing is you can record it and of course you're an expert at recording and replaying and editing and everything else and you know i told them i you know you're welcome to record whatever goes on and slap it on your website and you know if your members can't make it because they're you know like as you know to a soccer game or you know doing whatever they're doing mowing the lawn they can they can check out our discussion uh, or the presentation at a later date so it's sort of it's pretty cool uh jason i it's cool and it's sort of it's it's also just uh incredibly scary right now so and that's what i wanted to get to you know we're uh, one of the headlines that we're talking about here today on the podcast is coronavirus truthers prey on the anxiety of the moment and i've never i don't even know who this former milwaukee county sheriff david clark is he's an african-american with a goatee and a cowboy hat um, he looks like he's from the South or from Texas or I don't know where Milwaukee County is either. Uh, but apparently he's, he's a, a truther and he's, I didn't know there was coronavirus truthers. I knew there was pandemic conspiracies and that's kind of what I wanted to 
talk about a little bit here where, you know, you're talking about the university shutting down and a few other things like that. And that's the only thing I guess I look at in this whole thing is, is, is not so much the conspiracy, not so much, you know, and there are people profiting off this. Absolutely. That happens regardless. We talk about it every day about people using the environment to profit off of the scaring of the environment. I mean, so it's similar from that aspect, but for me, I would look at just the, I guess, the ease or the flow of how easily we're transitioning to shutting down the economy. That part just freaks me out. Like, I don't get it. Like, when March Madness got canceled, that was that was, um, that was was it for me. I went, okay, this is like somebody's putting a big reset button on the economy because, you know, I, I look at, like, WrestleMania or March Madness or, you know, these big events where... There are so many small business owners that depend on that. Like there are, you know, when you go to March Madness, for example, like let's say Dallas, Texas has, uh, you know, the Sweet 16. Okay, let's say they'd have the Sweet 16. There are a lot of podcasters who rely on that weekend for a big portion of their budget because they'll grab any local basketball celebrity at a hotel and you know do events and do you know what i mean there's these secondary events that not only small business owners do but a lot of these you know organizations do with nonprofit charities as well so the nfl draft every nfl team does something with a nonprofit think about what's going on with las vegas so i was listening to a morning show out of minneapolis the other day and they had a guy call, um, um, email in and talk about how he worked for the Marines. And he put together a contingency plan. And this contingency plan was for the casinos in Las Vegas uh, for a bomb. And the contingency was that they couldn't shut the casinos down for one minute. Otherwise, it would be devastating to their, you know, their, their economy, not only for the casino, but for Las Vegas. We're talking about shutting places down for two, three months, that sort of thing. Joe, I don't, I, I mean, you're, you're an educator. I get it. You're, you're with law. You're not an economist by any means. But if I take a step back, I just, boy, I, I look at just the ripple through this and, and I'm trying to figure out how small business is going to make it through this. Yeah, I share your concern. Actually, it was, uh, I uh, went out last Friday to a local restaurant. It's an Italian restaurant, and I expected part of the reason I went out is I like the I like the people, and I like geez, I want to support them. And I walked in there. It's actually there were quite a few people in there. But yesterday, when I was up by SMU, I went to Starbucks. They have piled all their their chairs into you know a big pile, and you can't you can't sit around Starbucks. Not that I do. I usually just get a coffee and go on down to the to the school, but. Um, you know, there would be the normal traffic that you have in there. And I get there really early, like 630 in the morning, which is, is early for edu- educators, trust me. But I was, you know, I get there and normally there's, um, there's a dozen people at least sitting around, you know, talking to their neighbors or talking to their friends and people running in and out. It was really, uh, and then I've heard there's a number of other, um, you know, food chains that are, they're just doing takeout now, and a uh, number of restaurants apparently now with the uh, you know limitations. I saw actually, I think New York City and Los Angeles and some other have actually bought banned you know restaurants and bars and you know, and gyms and boy, you take and all those you know, a lot of them are small business people, and uh, even if they're not, I mean, if you're 
uh, you know, it's to ask someone to shut down for, you know, a couple months. That's just, um, that, that's just incredible to me. I don't know if they, if you, if you, there's no way you can compensate these people for, I mean, we don't have enough money in the, in the world to, uh, you know, cause, cause America it is small business and you look at, you know, the loans they have and the, you know, the local business they have. And even the barber, I went and got my haircut last Thursday and, uh, you know, I was asking him how things were going. He goes, God, Joe, he goes, nobody's coming in. He goes, I, you know, it's just been incredibly slow. This is the slowest he's ever seen it in, you know, 20 years. And, and he goes, you know, they're not, because I'm not sure he wasn't sure why, but he was pretty much, you know, convinced it had to do with the, the virus scare. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, for him, most of his uh, clientele are sort of like me. They're they're not 30 years old. They're the older guys that sort of are probably hibernating at home, scared to death because of what they're seeing on, on the media. Um, well, I kind of laughed. I saw one of the cable networks over the weekend put Outbreak on all weekend. It was like, I'm going, how is that helping? People are, <laughs> people are, are watching this Ebola virus turn your insides into cream of chicken soup in three minutes, you know? And that's another right. thing, too. People watch this, and all of a sudden, what, you find the monkey, and 20 minutes later, you got the vaccine and the cure, and it's right. I, I, it's nothing like that. It's, it's so interesting, though, about how, you know... People pushing back events, and like I mentioned, there's a lot of small business owners that rely on this th these events. And you know, luckily for small business owners, um, they're 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 quick and nimble, and they can change. The problem is, is whether they have the energy, the resources, or the desire to change. Because in the marketplace, I get it. You got to have a better mousetrap. You gotta you gotta make a better steak sandwich. And, and right now, you know, um, in the world of economy, things are moving around. Things are moving around. In fact, this whole conspiracy article really is about Marco Rubio and Rand Paul and this, this Texas cowboy and all these guys fight, fighting about, you know, fear mongering and taking advantage of each other profit wise and et cetera. Like I said, that's nothing new there. I mean, that's been going on since the dawn of man. What I'm more concerned about is how quickly we shut down society and how quickly um, are we going to be able to rebuild it? I'm not sure that that's the question. I don't know because many of the people who made the decision and put the pressure on for these major events to shut down and for a lot of these businesses to shut down, they get a check regardless. They don't have to go out and find new business. They don't, you know what I mean? They, their, their, their lifestyle is, pretty good now i get it this is this is a serious event etc I, I get all that i'm not trying to make light of it but at the same time um these are real events that are going to happen that we we're going to have to rebound from this some way and i'm not sure how um joe am i i mean i'm not trying to you know rain on anybody's parade or say that this is not a serious event because this is a serious event but i'm wondering if this is going to be just the start of it well, that's a really good question, Jason. I'm I'm concerned. You know, once you start shutting down, um, you know, restaurants and bars and local activity, and um, and even look at the airlines. I mean, it, um, gee, the, you know, they've cut back their flights substantially, and they're going to, you know, downsize and airports are the same, uh, the same way. Uh, 
it's um you know who's going to get back on a plane you know next month and it's going to it's going to take a while to rebuild the trust although like you noted i mean it is interesting i'm old enough to remember the ebola virus and the sars virus and i remember you know flying up from dallas up to uh minneapolis and back during i think was the sars uh, campaign and getting off the the plane and seeing a number of um actually they're mostly uh uh, foreign uh, foreign carrier that uh, you know, everybody getting off the plane had a mask on, and it's like I thought, boy, these people are certainly overreacting to. Um, but looking at it, I mean, it, you know, in their viewpoint, they wasn't overreacting. I can't remember what the SARS death rate was, but it was substantially higher than the flu and what we have. You know what? Apparently, they nobody knows any. That's the other thing. Nobody knows anything with regard to that. Some say, hey, the death rate with the latest virus is. You know, just a little bit worse than the flu, and then some say, "Hey, look at Italy. You know, the death rate's eight percent." And it's like, I, you know, I don't know. And how do you plan as a businessman? As a, but you're right. Some of the people who are, you know, issuing the edicts that, you know, you can't get together and you can't do this or to do that. Uh, um, you know, is it is it science based or is there facts behind it? Or, and you're certainly people going to profit off it. I guarantee you. Um, yeah, as, as you know, it's a, but that's nothing new. Any type of crisis, whether it's a energy crisis, um, you know, a hurricane, you know, you'll have, you know, and, and price allocates things correctly over time. But uh, this is going to take some time to go work through. And I'm I, like you, I'm all quite a bit concerned, uh, you know, what the economy is going to look like on July 4th. That's if, uh, yeah, if you want if I'm sitting out in the backyard with the family and can't go off my property because they say I can't, you know, you, you're not supposed to intermingle. Uh, it's stuff going to the grocery store. It's it's not going to be pretty. So I tell you who I feel bad for those. And we've talked about this before, you know, the energy industry, 70% of the energy industry, oil and gas. Sorry. I, I, I still call the oil and gas industry, the energy industry. Um, the oil and gas industry is supposed to be retired by the year 2022. So, you know, 2023, we'll call it. So you got 70% of the industry retiring by 2023. Boy, those guys, I'm sure, have a lot of oil and gas stocks, and their other ones aren't doing very good either. Could you imagine going through their retirement right now? I feel really bad for those executives and those 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 workers that, you know, were relying on a lot of these stocks to live a good quality of life and now they're just taking it in the shorts you know what i mean joe yeah yeah exactly it's um yeah it is there's and you don't realize i mean actually you bring that up so let me mention uh there well you know you look at any company in the energy sector um regardless and you look at their market capitalization and over the last year and usually two or three years you know, most of them have lost billions and billions of dollars in stock value. And, you know, you don't you don't realize how much money has, you know, or, or apparent value, I should say. It's not money because it's stock. So but it's a you know, if you sell your stock, you will you can monetize that stock value. And, you know, stocks that were twenty dollars uh, two years ago are selling for, you know, actually, I saw someone wrote me today. Um, actually, it was a post on LinkedIn. uh one of the guys said, you know, well, two years ago, the stock was $20 and uh, he was laid off about a year ago. So he sold out of stock, but he goes, you know, this morning, the stock's selling at $5 and 63 cents. I don't know what company it was, but 
you know, he goes, that's, you know, he goes, actually, he felt, he feels fortunate. He goes, you know, a lot of companies have been hit worse. And, uh, it is interesting though. I, um, went to, there was a meeting here in Dallas, the energy prospectus group, uh, uh, last Thursday. And we, they had a Permian basin oil producer, um, speak on, you know, what their, what their outlook was. And it had been set up for like two or three months. And so, you know, when they set it up, the oil prices was were pushing 60. And, you know, the guy comes in and the oil prices are pushing 30. And I was real curious whether um, the crowd there, and there was about 35 of them for, for the Dallas meeting of this group. It's, it was a pretty good-sized crowd. None of my students showed up. I was a little bit upset because it was spring break, and apparently they were out drinking beer or whatever you do as a student these days. <laughs> but essentially, I was wondering whether the – people who showed up would be throwing chairs and telling the managers how stupid they were. And, um, and the company, uh, got up and they said, Hey, we, we, we put our rig down the one or two we had running and all they're going to do is, uh, and actually they're in the, they're on the, uh, central basin platform and they're conventional wells that are horizontally drilled. So they said the decline rate is like, uh, after the first year, about three or 4%. So they, they said, we're just going to run with the wells we have and, you know, preserve cash and we're laid off people. And he goes, it's terrible to have to lay off people that have meant so much to the company. But he goes, you know, we have, you know, there is no option at $35 a barrel. Nobody's making money, nobody. And uh, you just hope that you can rain. And, and I, I am more optimistic, Jason. The, I don't want to sound too de- depressed. The um, going forward, Oil at thirty or thirty-five dollars a barrel globally is not viable, and so I mean we will see. And actually, it may go the other way, where God, everybody shut down their rig. I mean, if you look, and there's some major players who have announced some major cutbacks, and finally in in their exploration activity. But you know, if you take out those incremental barrels, and and we start having the decline you have with shale. Um, although globally the demand for oil has gone way down too, so it'll take a while for the supply to to fall enough. But I do feel comfortable thinking that, you know, in next December or certainly uh, a year from July, the uh, oil prices will be, I, I expect, pushing, you know, 60 or $70 barrel again or more just based on supply and demand. I may be optimistic. I mean, people have told me I'm nuts. Um, other people, I mean, I think Raymond James just came out with a report yesterday or the day before, and their latest is that, um, you know, we may be short term touching 20, but, you know, longer term we'll recover. And, um, you know, and again, they're, they're everybody who do, if you forecast oil prices or gas prices, there's one thing for certain it's going to, you're going to be wrong. And so, you know, when I mentioned Raymond James, a lot of people start throwing mud at me on the internet and, it's like, hey, you know, that's I just happen to get their research as well as a few others, and um, but most of them, you know, are you know, short term. You can't be real optimistic with the supply and demand. Like you say, when the economy and energy use correlate so closely, when the economy shuts down, and you're not air conditioning that restaurant or cooking the uh, uh, tacos in the back, uh, your energy use falls off and uh, and prices go down. But it all it all. Uh, equals out in the end but uh so longer term being a year or two out i do feel we, we oil will not be at 30 dollars a barrel it just it, it, it it's that's not viable for anybody including the saudis well not only have i 
had a taco out of the back of a van before, so I'm not as worried about the coronavirus, I guess, as the average person. But um, no, I'm just kidding, which I have actually <laughs> had a taco out of a van before. No, I was thinking about that earlier going, you know, the the things Americans eat and and how quickly we responded to this is, is just remarkable. You know, I will say this about the coronavirus. Um, the one thing that does get me is... When you look at uh, the NBA, because I think once the NBA canceled the season, that was just that was the snowball that started the whole deal, and they were going to try the fanless experience until the two players got it, and that's where I like to point out to people what what's going on here, because you know when you look at SARS and you look at some of these other um, outbreaks that happened, the symptoms happened very quickly, so they were able to to react. With this, it's flu-like, you know, um, carrier. It's it's uh, you're not sure if you even even have it when you have it type of a symptom, which makes it very difficult. But when you look at what happened in the NBA, those two those two players had it, and they were sweating and bumping up against players from the Toronto Raptors all night, and nobody else yep. on the team got it. Nobody else from Toronto got it. So what that told everybody was that it's a sneezing and coughing disease, which means. Either you sneeze and cough on people or you sneeze and cough on a surface. You put it on your hand. It goes in your mouth. It's a two, three-step process. That's why I'm a little bit surprised about just the amount of shutdown considering, you know what I mean, as far as the, um, and I get it. It's, it's, it's a strain on the system. It's, a lot of it is because of the uh, severity behind the elderly and, right. and how much of a strain on the system it has. Between the hypochondriacs and the actual people, it does put a strain on the system. They don't have vaccines yet. I understand they're trying their first human trials as, as we're speaking right now. Um, Italy, I understand that you know their country was quarantined basically because of the strain on the, on the medical system. They're trying to keep up with it. And I think that's a big part of it too is, is that gets left out of, out of a lot of the stories. And we should expect over the next week, Joe, uh, we're talking on St. Patrick's Day here that the uh, number of U.S. cases should go up just because they're testing now. They're actually te- they weren't testing last month. Now they're testing. So I think the cases might even go up. Yeah, I, I agree. The testing is there's a lot more people, I think, walking around with this virus than um, than officially noted, put it that way, which is on one hand is good because what it tells you is a lot of the cases what tells me and this again i'm speculating i don't know but what i've read um you know what it tells you is the death rate is much lower than what they're putting out and number two most of the cases are relatively um you know they're relatively uh, manageable from a health standpoint and and like you said the the people who are 60 years or older or have compromised immune systems or have other health issues. I mean, the danger there. I mean, that there is a um, a much higher risk for them. But uh, in any event, how you plan all this and how you deal with it. I, you know, going back to your point on small business. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, Nike, Nike can shut down all their stores and pay everybody to stay home. But you know, if you're Joe's Smokehouse uh, uh, Barbecue Grill. Yeah, you're in a world of hurt. Um, and and yeah. if you're the servers at Joe's Smokehouse Grill, yep. your your landlord's in a world of hurt. You know what I mean? So that that's what I'm saying. This has ripples and ripples that 
I, I don't believe a lot of the leaders understand. I mean, when you start telling people not to have events more than 10 people, more than 50 people, well, that's that you're changing society. You are changing society on a dime. And this is where I want to get back to the oil and gas sector here before we, you know, turn this into the view um, or you know, some kind of some kind of which, by the way, I would love doing. I'd love that. I love the roundtable talks. But uh, you and I were talking before about uh, this May, their banking regulations or the banking changes are going to come out. And I wanted to ask you about that uh, just a little bit more specifically, because you, you just went to a conference about that. So you you have a little bit more of uh, a knowledge than I do on that. In fact, I probably didn't even phrase that correctly, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the second part is, is that uh, I've actually had quite a few interviews by quite a few, probably three or four, which I consider a lot, you know, over the last month and a half. Uh, people talking about foreign companies buying oil and gas properties and building oil and gas facilities down in like Lake Charles and in Corpus Christi and up in the Bakken. Uh, foreign companies doing this. And this is not a new thing, but it's never really been talked about. And not much anyway. And I've had, like I said, three or four, maybe even five people, now that I'm really thinking about it, where we've had this conversation, not brought up by me, by the way, not brought up by me. This was other people bringing it up. And when you think about, you know, the, the price of natural gas at 15 bucks over in the UK, so they're looking at Corpus Christi and Lake Charles and saying, you know, Two, three bucks for natural gas over here. It's cheaper just to build the facility here and then ship it over to the UK. And then, of course, you got some, you know, China and France and Germany. They're fracking down in Texas and in the Bakken, et cetera. When this is all said and done, this can, uh, uh, coronavirus and the economy resets and we start talking about all this. And now the new banking guidelines come out, too. And we got the foreign companies coming in. Joe, I just, you know, I'm spitballing here, but there's a lot of spitballs coming at you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, with regard to last Thursday when the Permian Basin uh, presentation was made by as a public company, and, you know, one of the things he pointed out, you know, as management, it's uh, when you run a company, you generally have to have a borrowing line and you generally have a banking syndicate. And the banking syndicate that they use has like about 11 or 12 banks, and they all own this company. It's not super highly indebted, but they, and I said, what happens is they don't, they just don't give you an unsecured loan. You know, they look and they will give you a loan based on your reserve value, which means the oil that you found in the ground. And they, this company has, you know, has uh, quite a bit of oil in the ground and quite a bit of production. But when you figure out when the bank sits down and their lending officer, and they, they actually have some petroleum engineers on staff, most of them, uh, at least they do any energy lending anyway, um, they, the engineer will look and he'll say, gee, you know, you, you have, you know, you're producing 1,000 barrels per day, and at $50 a barrel, this will be the cash flow. And so when you figure out, we'll, you know, we'll lend you a portion of that as, um, you know, reserve, it's called reserve-based lending. Um, that works great until you, you know, if you realize maybe your cost to, to produce is $40, so you have a, a profit margin cash flow in there, positive. Uh, but when it falls to 35 or $30 a barrel, you know, you go to the banker and it's like, you're, what's your collateral worth? Well, you get a, you know, a thousand barrels a day 
production and gee it cost you forty dollars to produce and you're getting thirty you know what will you know what what's the collateral worth and it's like well not much so um except when you look out you know for you, you can you know, look out on the futures curve and you know say gee you know next year it'll be 50 or 60 but that's all speculative too and in the banking um these banks there are you know they they do have guidelines with regard to you know energy lending and how much you know they will give you a hundred percent of your just like you you know if i went with my house to the bank and said gee you know i just had an appraisal it's worth you know two hundred thousand dollars you know, I want a loan against it, and um, they wouldn't give me two hundred thousand dollars. They say, oh, "Okay, we'll give you." You know, most of the times, let's say we'll give you one hundred eighty thousand or one hundred sixty thousand, because they want some margin of safety there. And similar with oil, but when and the make comes up is when you know they generally redetermine the value of your uh, line um, once or twice a year. I think it's twice a year, and so the next time they will, most of the syndicates will look at this will be probably in may and so when may uh it's going to be very interesting to see um a lot of these smaller companies actually a lot of the larger companies are going to you know approach their lenders and the lenders are going to say geez you know what we thought was worth two hundred thousand dollars is worth like fifty thousand um and you know we're going to pull your credit line or we're not gonna um yeah it'll be interesting to see it'll create a of a cash flow issue, which is one reason why you see a bunch of companies, you know, immediately they're cutting, well, number one, just from a profit standpoint, but also from the credit line standpoint. I mean, you you cut out your your rig count really quickly. It's like, geez, we're just going to stack the rigs. I mean, the heck with it. Uh, we can't make money. We don't, you know, we don't at $30 and we're not going to, the bank's not going to lend us any. And that's like, that's a good thing, actually. You don't, there's some prudence built into the system. But we never expected, and this actually came up Thursday, the executives were talking, actually some of the people at the table with me who are uh, engineers in the sector, uh, consulting engineers, told me, you know, we we never expected, you know, 20 or 30 years ago to see the volatility that we do today in oil prices. And it really, really makes it difficult to plan because you don't know. When you're when you're drilling, the the wells that this company was drilling were only two million dollars each, which is for for the Permian that's cheap, and because they're shallow wells and they're, uh, you know, they're only a mile long. That's all all the further they're going, because the economics work best for that length. But uh, in any event, they you know they essentially said uh, you know with the volatility of prices, you just can't, you know, who would have guessed we'd see thirty dollars a barrel oil? Um, yeah, no one. I mean, it's just. It's beyond the. Um, you know, It'll be back. The, uh, <laughs> beyond, well, I mean, it, it might be a year, and I, I, you know, like we've talked about before in this program, the '90s. It was a decade essentially of low oil prices for a decade. So, um, it's, you know, really when you look at the what's going on in the on on the globe right now, it's almost like the globe is going through an oil bust. You know, you talk about the traditional boom bust cycles of, you know, the. The, the last well is drilled, and then that small town, well, that's Bust Town, USA. It almost is like that right now on the planet with the way everything is shut down, you know? Um, Boy, that's a good point. I tell you the other, you know, you look at Iran, you look at Iraq, you look at, you know, anybody. I mean, even Saudi Arabia and, and Russia, I mean, you know, their, their internal forecast, I guarantee you, were not for $30 a barrel oil. Mexico, you know, actually hedged their... 
I was told or read, they generally hedge most of their production. So they're probably selling oil at $50, but they're selling it under hedges, which means you know, whoever whoever's holding those hedges is in a world of hurt. You know, who well, those here, people are. Here's, here's know, the no bottom telling. line, Joe. The bottom line is that 96% of what we do in today's world needs fossil fuels from our toothbrush to our toothpaste to our wind turbines to our computers to the data centers that power our cell phones and it ain't going anywhere in our lifetime now right the, you know the, the 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 journey is a little different the journey is a little different now this is an unexpected part of the journey uh greta thunberg and uh, the um, uh, child warriors of of the ecolution was unexpected uh, I, I do believe, you know, some of the uh, Colorado movement, and that's that's that Greta Thunberg movement, except on a different level, was unexpected. However, um, not so much. I think it was maybe the, the, the speed was unexpected, but I do think the opposition has been happening since Earth Day, if that makes sense. So it's it, this coronavirus, though, created the speed so much faster that I think that the reset button and things are just going to look different, you know. By the way, um, just to mention, you know, the the Permian Basin and the Eagleford are looking to, you know, increase over the next year still. You know, the new report just came out by the uh, EIA. What is that? The Energy Institute Association. What is the EIA again? What is that? Energy Information Administration. Thank you. Energy Information <laughs> yep. Administration. Um, I mean, everybody is an alphabet now. Everybody is. Yeah. I mean, even laugh on loudly, laugh out loud. You know, your emojis <laughs> are are alphabets and everything acronyms. And anyway, but so they're looking at New Mexico and Texas to rise. And I do think with the solidification that fossil fuels has in our lifetime, that you might see a shift of how it's done, how it's drilled even who's drilling it. But at the end of the day, natural gas is the future. Now, now right. crude, crude oil will change. That's no, no question about it. I don't know how it's going to change, but it will change and it will continue to have uses out in the world. But, but natural gas is the future. And once these pipelines are done, Joe, we are going to see a, a, just a complete quality of life change like we've never seen before. I mean, it's going to be so amazing the next 10 years after the next one is done. Anyway. Yeah, the, the pipeline, actually, the pipelines, it'll take, yeah, that's the interesting thing, too, the opposition to pipelines, but that's just a whole other discussion. We probably talk long enough <laughs> today on a bunch of other issues. But the Well, actually, Sen and, Senator Kramer and I were just talking about how this coronavirus is going to prolong, it's going to delay the pipelines. You know, it's, oh, it's actually, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's it's actually going to cause problems in it. So sorry to, to to interrupt you there, but that's that is one of the the uh, you know unforeseen consequences with this is that now these pipelines are probably going to take a little bit longer to get built, and therefore the cheap, reliable energy to get it to the third world countries, who I just read were going to get eighty five percent of their economies were going to get impacted because of this. You know, and and we've talked about how getting affordable energy to third world countries is really what is the cornerstone of oil and gas and and even coal really that's the cornerstone behind it but anyway i'm sorry to interrupt you so go back to your thought if you even remember it because i just threw a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> well actually yeah like natural gas pipelines they'll like i say that they're 
the opposition to them is creating some real, um, yeah, real issues uh, going forward. And even in the Permian, and and I don't know how it is in the Bakken, it may be similar. I mean, a lot of a lot of producers are actually paying. You have a negative net, you have a negative negative value for natural gas up the wellhead because you have to pay a pipeline because there's not the capacity. So, you know, you either shut in your well or you pay someone or you flare. And if you can't get a flaring permit or if you're environmentally friendly, you 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 know pay someone to take your natural gas, which is unfortunate. But I mean, it'll 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 that will correct itself uh, slowly. Huh. Yeah, I think so. In fact, I even talked to Senator Kramer about, I, I asked him if maybe he should start the conversation in the halls of Congress about uh, shifting the subsidies from solar and wind over to natural gas. And so I, he, I, you know, he's not a big fan of subsidies, of course, he's a conservative Republican. But my, 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 my point is still valid, I believe, which is that the energy companies are paying their more than fair share taxes. They do not get subsidies like the wind and energy companies. Uh, energy companies are asked to, or I'm sorry, oil and gas companies have been asked to reach certain milestones, which they hit for the most part, and they do it on their own with their own money. And the wind and solar companies have not met their milestones. And so my bigger picture is, is that, God, if we just subsidize natural gas, boy, we'd get the problem solved in five years, and we'd probably end up with some new super plastic and some new way to farm like we've never even heard of, and everybody could have a greenhouse attached to their their deal, and who knows, maybe it's a new water heater that's on your roof, so you all of a sudden don't have to worry about hot water anymore. I don't know. I'm just I'm thinking of just spitballing again here, but... I look at if we could just transition some of that money to natural gas, and then the mineral owners would get would get paid on the royalties of the natural gas that's flared, and then they could go spend money at the local cafes and all kinds of things. So I just see it being such a positive. Yeah, I agree. And actually, the uh, the uh, energy oil and gas sector is a lot more person intensive than the renewables. So you know, you build a wind turbine or a solar farm, and you know you don't need. You don't need a drilling crew. You don't need a completion crew. You don't need to go in and refract. You don't need to have a pumper go out and check every day. And um, so the, which is good because essentially what it means is these are decent jobs at decent pay that, you know, in areas that, um, you know, there's a number of people in the country would love to live in North Dakota. And yeah, most people, you know, would think you're nuts. You know, no, no offense, Jason. <laughs> I'm one of them that would love to live in North Dakota, but it's, uh, um, you know, one of those deals, there's, you know, there's not, there's not the diversified economy that you have in Dallas or Austin, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and, they, and especially with good jobs. So, uh, unless you want to go into agriculture and boy, that's a hard life, uh, from what I've been told, it's everybody who's been in it pretty much has told me, you know, they never want to go back to a farm again, which I thought was sort of interesting commentary, but, uh, in any event, you're right on the natural gas. I agree. It's a big, it's a big fuel of the future for the world and really for the United States because we, we have a huge amount of natural gas. And I guess the, the Saudi Arabia of reserves is pretty much up, you know, around Pittsburgh, believe it or not, um, in the Marcellus and Utica shales that uh, were there for ages and no one really knew, you know, the the amount of natural gas that was there until the fracking revolution uh, a decade ago well what do you see happening 
now when this is all said and done i mean do you do you see where, what do you see is going to happen with the energy industry i mean you're talking about conferences canceled the williston petroleum conference can't got rescheduled to september the you know the api gumbo cook-off got canceled or possibly rescheduled and you know i was even i even emailed the person from api i said what about your monthly api meetings are those canceled going forward or are you still meeting there and so this is going to impact the energy industry in ways like we've never seen before. I mean, a lot of these guys and girls, they rely on these industry events for their sales. I mean, I can't imagine going back to cold calling. Oh, geez, man, trying to get somebody on the phone nowadays. I couldn't even imagine that. Trying to get somebody yeah. over email. It's much easier to walk <laughs> up to them and shake their hand and buy them a drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those conferences, though, are they're really. Oh, worthwhile. I don't want to work. I want to go on the field trips. Come on, give me, uh, give, give me a per uh, diem and send me out to a field trip. The um, yeah, the conferences. I mean, I, yeah, they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. Are, are you processing are now that you got to work? You're like, hey, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm the guy that gets the per diem and it goes to the field trips. Uh, anyway, it's interesting. I, and I don't know, Jason, going forward, like I say, I do think that um, I want to tell you natural gas prices and oil prices at the current level are not sustainable, even at low economic activity levels. And I think for the industry, while the short term is going to be very difficult, um, 12 months to 24 months out, we'll start to see a recovery and it actually might be a little more robust than a lot of people think. And um, and especially depending on how the virus goes, too, it's going to be interesting to see if this stuff, no one no one really knows. I mean, you, you get all the experts in the room and you know, some say oh, it's going to burn itself out in July and some say, hey, this is going to be with us for three years. So, you know, Lord knows that they, the difference in impact economically is going to be a lot different. And I think we'll know a lot more in a month because, you know, after you shut down all the restaurants and bars in New York City for a month, as well as the schools, um, boy, it's going to be, I'm, I'm just very curious what's going to happen. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's unprecedented unprecedented future quite frankly and i'm not bright enough to figure it out other than to say i'm concerned so for a lot of people for both the, the residents uh as well as for the business owners well i'll kind of say this in closing here because i'm kind of looking at the clock and realizing i got to get this uh d- done sometime today so um thinking about you know i i've been mentioning this lately and i just had this conversation with my son last night we were talking he asked me about if the coronavirus if we would possibly mutate and evolve from this, maybe grow wings, you know, that type of thing. And um, I said, you know, son, I said, to be honest, I said, the way humans evolve, in my opinion, is more by behavior. And I go, when you look at humans, we really haven't grown, you know, evolved much beyond, you know, growing wings. And, you know, we haven't had a, you know, a third arm or anything like that. So it's just, it seems like by behavior and our use of tools, and understanding is how humans evolve. And that's what I think is going to happen when this is all said and done. Because the more and more you and I talk, I was just even thinking of universities. I don't think universities are ever going to be the same after this summer. I really don't. I think there's going to be such an increase of online education that the universities are going to be forced to have to change their current business model. 
And, you know, if when, really when you think about it, if, if Rip Van Winkle woke up from his slumber of 100 years, our education system would probably be one of the only things that looks the same from 100 years ago. That's a real good point. I mean, actually, you go on campus, you see all the buildings, you see all the, and you see also see how, you know, just a function of logistics to see how inefficient it is that, you know, you need these classrooms, but they're used maybe 10% of the time. Because, I mean, the entire summer, you only have, you know, the summer classes there. And then, you know, you have a class that's, you know, goes for an hour and a half, and then there's a hour break, and they put another one in there, and maybe three classes per day. It's like running, you know, back in the days, I, I used to be a big, I loved ice hockey and I used to play a little bit, just not, not just competitively, but not, you know, not anything major, but uh, essentially the, um, if you run an ice arena, you have the same issue where, you know, from three o'clock in the afternoon till maybe, you know, 10 or 11 at night, you've got a lot of people, but you know, after that, you know, you, you, your facility is underutilized. And it's the same way with the, uh, the universities and their real estate and of course everybody wants these days to have the you know, state-of-the-art gym and the state-of-the-art football field and the state-of-the-art um medical school and business school and law school and you know biotechnology school and so they all build new buildings and uh you know gee, you look at the economics as well as dorms the dorms the dorms that you and i would have stayed in uh at University of North Dakota, if I went there, but I went to, actually, I went and visited my own old dorm that was built in 1970, 1970, I think, and at the time, I thought it was beautiful. Now, I went back, and it reminded me of a jail cell, <laughs> Right. and just because, just you know, that's, but that's what you were used to, but the, you look at it, and the online, the online is so much more efficient, and you got a guy like me who can teach online, um, you know, in Kansas, in Oklahoma, in Arkansas, in Michigan, uh, in Texas. I mean, via Zoom and some of the other technology they have. And actually, our online program at Texas A&M, we have students from, oh, at least two dozen states that are, you know, taking, um, getting a master's in energy law. And so you you have people, which is great, you know, number one, great to teach, that is, so they get exposed to your program, but it's also great for the classmates and the teacher, because essentially I got you know, people that can talk about the Bakken, people that talk about the Permian, people that can talk about the Marcellus. And so if we're talking about oil and gas leasing and producing and paying royalties, you get, you get, you get information real time from all over the country, which is really pretty cool. And then a lot of times when they graduate, if they, they link together as classmates, as well as with the professor. And, and actually uh, Sunday I took one of my, that students from Oklahoma out. He was in Dallas for a wedding, and uh, you know he's out in Amarillo now, practicing both energy and agricultural law out there. And I got to visit with him and and find out what's happening in the Texas Panhandle, which is is it's god awful beautiful. But I think I'd rather be in North Dakota, Jason. <laughs> I hate to say that I'm being a Texan, but it's uh it's pretty uh, barren. But it is a and I told him, you know, if you're a if you go out there and spend 20 years, you know, everybody's going to know who you are because it's not that big a town. And he's very, um, he gets involved in a lot of stuff. And I go, you can be a real leader in a smaller, uh, smaller cog versus being in Dallas where you're one of, you know, 5 million people. So anyway, well, I, I know this family that moved into North Dakota back when Kennedy 
was in office, and they still call them the new folks in town. So in the state. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's an old joke. But I will say this in closing, um, that the part that I just can't get my mind off of is, like I said, I, I truly believe that humans evolve through behavior. And right now, I just can't get over. This is a time of evolution for us on a lot of levels. Okay, not only are we evolving in terms of how we're looking at the planet and how we're looking at a lot of different things, but humans have always gravitated together in groups from the Roman gladiator days to armies to, you know, just um, Woodstock. You know, humans have always been been gravitated to safety in numbers, if you will. If, if we're going to move forward in a society, and I'm not saying we're there, but I think these discussions are being had of not having events of more than 10 people or getting a permit if you want to have up to 50 people. That's going to change human behavior, Joe, because we're not used to that. And if, we, if we're going to have a party of 20 people and we got to call the county to get a public health certification permit, that... That those are real discussions that have already uh, that have already been had, so um, that's how I'm looking at this. Is that I see how humans are just going to probably evolve through this. Really, anyway, that's there's 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 your deep thought there for a, for a St. Patrick's <laughs> Day, but really, we're in unprecedented uh, time, and and the neat thing is, well, if there is a neat thing, is I think. You know, you will see society, we will move together in a direction to be that will be most beneficial for, you know, most of our members, which, uh, which, you know, in the last 10 years, it's been, it seems like everybody is more and more divisive on so many issues. But I think the, you know, the goal of, you know, maintaining your health and controlling the virus is such a awesome, gigantic goal that people are going to be much more I hope cooperative and uh, and like you say, it'll change behavior, including educational behavior. I totally agree with you. I think education in the next ten years is going to look totally different than uh, than what it has, and maybe it's just a belief because I've been moving online for you know really the last five or ten years and working with online programs. But and I can I have to admit, Jay, I'm old enough. I still love to have the students in the seat, regardless of how. Um, regardless of how inefficient it is, because you get the immediate feedback, you can talk to them before class, you can talk to them after class, you know, you, you develop more of a personal relationship versus an internet relationship, but, but both work, and from an economic standpoint, is that in-the-seat experience, you know, worth all the extra money, I mean, that's, that's, that's the debate, so, 